Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Dave. And thank you, Peter, for leading us in a period of reflection as we hear God's word and hear it speak to us. I'd be lying this morning if I said I wasn't a little bit apprehensive about being given John 10 as part of the preaching schedule. As you know, uh, Steve has led us as a congregation over recent years about what it means to live John 10.10 in everyday life, what it means for us to have 10.10 in worship, pastoral care, and mission. So I would, be, I would definitely be lying if I said I wasn't apprehensive about sort of trampling into his territory. Maybe I feel like Sandra's kids talk, I'm trespassing this morning into John 10.10. And I'm sure as Steve sits there, it's probably going to be a little bit like Beyonce watching the X Factor and cringing when she sees somebody covering one of her songs. But I'm sure that there's enough in John 10 that Steve can come back to it again going to get even more cringeworthy now. Nicki Minaj, that well-known American philosopher, notice she's not part of our evening series, but maybe, maybe in a couple of years, David will have unpacked a little bit of what her philosophy is telling us. But Nicki Minaj, in one of her songs, says, everyone's born, but not everyone lives. And as we come to this section in John's gospel this morning, what we're discovering is that God has come in the form of Jesus that we may have life in all its fullness, that we may have life abundantly, that we may experience the reality of who he is and that reality to overflow in our lives, in our relationships, in our families, and in our workplaces. I don't know about you, but maybe a mantra of this generation is, this isn't the real world. When we were growing up in school, people told us that really our life begins somewhere in the future. Once we leave here and move on to something else, the next thing, the next thing that is bigger and better and brighter and shinier. And while we may have believed that, we realized that it was going to be harder. We realized that our younger days were prepping us for the day when life would really take off. We grew with an expectancy of the next big thing. And as we progressed towards each new milestone, we often experienced a subtle sense of disappointment rather than satisfaction. Maybe as we approached those milestones, we maybe look around and shrugged our shoulders and thought, this can't be it. The next thing will be, will be when I truly and fully live. When I get married, when I finish school, when I buy a house, when I travel, then life will really begin. Because today really is just a holding zone for something more. But when we reach that long-awaited achievement and discover it doesn't quite meet our expectations, we often just set our eyes on the next step. I have come that you may have life in all its fullness today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when you lose that stone that you've been trying to shift for ages, not when you get that promotion you've been longing for at work, now. I have come that you may experience life in all its fullness. Jesus 
is saying. Yet somewhere that gets lost as we stand at our kitchen sinks and wash our dishes. As we run the kids to school. As we scroll down Twitter or Facebook and see everybody else's life that just looks so perfect on Instagram. We believe that we're not there yet. Yet, Jesus breaks into the narrative of the age and says, now you have life in all its fullness. Life in all its fullness. This week, this city boy learned a lot about farming. In fact, the closest I'd probably come to a sheep was a lamb chop, or maybe when we have them here at Christmas at our community carol service, but I don't know an awful lot about them. But it's hard to escape sheep and goats and shepherds when you come to John chapter 10. So journey with me as I share a little bit with you about what I've learned this week about fish, about fish, sheep. <laughs> oh, that might have been a Freudian slip there. Um, I don't like fish. Um, okay, so sheep, sheep, that's what we're on. Sheep, shepherd, sheep, shepherd, sheep, shepherd, sheep. There is a book that has been published that tells a little bit about how you raise sheep. And in this Australian guidebook, it lists some of the strengths and the weaknesses, the advantages, if you will, and disadvantages of rearing sheep. The advantages. Sheep have a natural herding instinct. They tend to stay together. Didn't know that. Second advantage of being a sheep, reproduction. Sheep are quick growing and multiply easily. And the third advantage of being a sheep or having sheep is obedience, because sheep can be trained to obey. Three advantages of having sheep. The book then moves on to the, disappoint, the disadvantages. Sheep are not adapted to heat and dryness. Now bear in mind, this is an Australian guidebook. Sheep thrive here, obviously, because it's not warm or dry most of the time. The book then also tells us that sheep can't survive without adequate food. It tells us that sheep are fragile. They are naturally defenseless. Sheep are susceptible to parasites. Sheep must be continually watched. Sheep need protection at night. Sheep are short-sighted and they can only see six feet ahead, a little like me without my glasses. Seems that this book majors on the disadvantages of having sheep rather than the advantages. And maybe then we can see why Jesus uses sheep to refer to us and a shepherd to him because really, at the end of the day, we mess up a lot, and sometimes we're hard to control, and sometimes we're extremely hard to manage. But I also learned this week, this is me going to show off a little bit now, though. When I did throw this fact out in the office during the week, somebody went, yeah, that, yeah, I knew that already, but this is news to me. There are different kinds of sheep. Um, <laughs> but also... <laughs> I just thought they were white and fluffy. But anyway, <laughs> I also learned that there is a difference between British sheep and Palestinian sheep, and British shepherds and Palestinian shepherds. In Britain, sheep are largely reared for their meat, whilst in Palestine, they are mostly kept for their milk and wool. 
Imagine the conversation you're going to be able to have around the, the dinner table today as you eat your sheep. Um, which means that, they, okay, so let's go back there before we lose the point. In Britain, sheep are reared largely for their meat, and in Palestine, they're reared largely for their milk and wool. And it means that they tend to live longer. It means that a personal relationship develops between the shepherd and the sheep. The sheep are given names and respond as call. And if you've watched sheep trials, something I have yet to do, you will know how difficult it can be to get sheep to go in the right direction. That's because British shepherds tend to drive their sheep from behind, which is a little bit like pushing a bicycle down a road backwards. It's quite hard to keep in a straight line. Whilst in Palestine, it's a lot easier because the shepherd leads the sheep from the front. I also discovered this quote in a book about sheep and shepherding this week. Just listen, if you will. On the hills behind Jericho, no sooner had the shepherds spoken than an answering bleat shivered over the herd, and one or two of the animals turned their heads in his direction but they did not obey him. The herd gave a laughing kind of whine, and immediately a goat with a bell round its neck stopped eating, and leaving the herd, trotted down the hill across the valley and up the opposite slopes. The man accompanied this animal, walked on, and disappeared. Soon a sense of panic spread among the herd. They forgot to eat. They looked up for their shepherd, and he was not to be seen. They became conscious that the leader with the bell at its neck was no longer with them. From a distance came a strange laughing call of the shepherd, and at the sound of his voice, the entire herd stampeded in the direction in which he was going, hearing his voice. As we come this morning into God's presence, are we here with a sense of expectation that we're actually going to hear for him? Have we come here to hear from the shepherd who is leading the life of our sheep? Transport yourself, if you will, back into the time when Jesus would have been telling these stories and walking among the people on the earth. Maybe he was conversing with a huge crowd of people and in one moment turns his eyes towards the hillside of the Mount of Olives and maybe sees a familiar sight of shepherds busy as the afternoon waned into evening, folding their flocks, preparing for the evening. This could very well have been the visual aid that Jesus used to teach another lesson to those gathered around him a little bit about himself. As we pick up this story in John 10, it's caught on the heels of the story that we've been journeying through the past two weeks in John chapter 9, where Jesus has encountered a man born blind, and he heals the man by the power of his spoken word. And when the religious leaders demand an explanation and the man testifies to Jesus, they throw him out of the temple. Rejected by the religious leaders, he becomes a follower of Jesus. So it is into this that Jesus introduces the illustration of the shepherd and the sheep. He says in John 10 and 16, they, I have others, sorry, hang on, I've lost my place here. So Jesus 
introduces this illustration. He is the shepherd. There is a sheep pen where he is gathering together his sheep. I'll not bore you a little bit with the story that I was going to there. Um, But for the original hearers of this passage, the idea of God as shepherd would have been something that they were extremely familiar with because the Old Testament is littered with examples of God being referred to as the shepherd. Psalm 23, um, Isaiah 40, Jeremiah 31. So this imagery would have been familiar to those listening to Jesus. But the question must be, well, where is Jesus heading with this imagery? Because we see in John 10 and 6 that the the writer leaves these details. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Yet again, we see that the religious haven't quite got the picture. So Jesus becomes more direct and more explicit and goes on to say, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. In this passage, we see that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Coming from the Greek kalos. I know, I can't believe I'm about to do this myself either. Coming from the Greek kalos, or so the books tell me, which means good not in the sort of moral or ethical sense, but more in a platonic sense of an ideal or a model of perfection or authenticity. Jesus, in the midst of this setting, is presenting himself as the real shepherd, as the ideal shepherd, as the model for our everyday lives. Not what people were expecting. Funny people didn't catch on. But it's also interesting as we journey through John that we'll see that John's gospel is the only one that speaks of Jesus' death in terms of laying down his life. The shepherd laying down his life for his sheep. This imagery you'll find is repeated three times in seven verses. And we know that when you want to get something across to somebody, repetition is often a good way to do it. Time and time again, Jesus is telling them that he's not only there to shepherd them and to lead them, but that ultimately his love for them is so strong and so, so strong and so loving that he will lay down his life for them. We come to a table later to discover the reality of that, the bread and the wine, body, blood, life laid down. But we find that when Jesus offers the world tenderness and safety, the world shatters it. For the people who originally would have been hearing John's gospel, their world was overshadowed by anxiety about persecution and fear of losing everything, livelihoods, family relations, and community status. So much for green pastures and still waters that we've been reading about This morning, anxiety, uncertainty, worry, sound familiar. Here we are all those years later, and we too carry our anxiety, our worry around with us on a daily basis. How is this situation going to turn out? Am I going to be able to afford to meet the bills? 
How is my child going to get through their GCSEs or A-levels? Anxiety all around. Yet into the midst of that anxiety, we have Jesus saying that I have come that you may have fullness of life. Fullness of life. Is that a reality for you this morning? Have we surrendered? Have we asked Jesus to give us fullness of life? Are we living it out? But not only in our own particular situations do we need to have a think, but we also should have a think about maybe to who, we should also have a think about those that maybe we are holding it back from? Who are we holding fullness of life back from as we move about in our world today? How, what does fullness of life look like to the refugee whose clothes we are donating to them? What does it mean to come alongside them? What does it mean for fullness of life on Botanic when there are people searching for it in an awful lot of places yet still feeling empty? What does fullness of life look like to that person who we're still holding a grudge against? I have come that you may have fullness of life and that you may have it now. Now, this very minute. We were reading in Ephesians chapter 3 that we may come to know the fullness of of this life, this love that surpasses knowledge that God has for us. This morning, as we come to this table, it's on offer. This morning, as we come to remember Jesus' sacrifice, it's available. Do we really want it? Do we really want it? Or what are we more content to fill our lives with and to try to find fullness of life in. A friend of mine on, a, on her blog this week, Harriet Long, mentioned something that kind of just jumped at me as I thought about this passage and this sermon and about us coming to this table. She writes the following and see if any of it resonates with your experience today. I've been thinking about the miles that people pound out in the gym the coffee people down, the spending people do and plan, the working hours that people put in, the mountains that people scale, the escapism in TV and movies, the sex and relationships that people pursue, the religious seal that people cultivate, the meals we prepare ourselves, the snacks we don't even know we're consuming, the schedules we fill and the projects we step set up, the ways that we numb ourselves to find fullness. Yet, we come to a table this morning that says, if you lose your life, you'll find it. Because at this table, there is fullness of life on offer. This table says, lose your life to find it because there is fullness of life on offer. Or are we so busy just trying to keep it all together, trying to figure out life on our own that we don't embrace what's before us? Though life may not be as you expected it to turn out, 
we come to a, we come to a table where a life is flowing out from death and a cross. A life on offer that is beyond our understanding and beyond our clambering. A life that is not about what we have, but what we have to give. And so we come. Maybe feeling life is never full, we come to be filled by the one who can only, who can only satisfy. This morning, Jesus' words cry out, I have come that you may have life on its, in all its fullness. We come to a table that says, keep living until you become fully alive. Are we up for it? Are we up for it for ourselves? Are we up for it for our country? Are we up for it for our friends? How different will things look if we follow the lead of the shepherd, if we hear his voice, if we follow his commands and calls and enter into the fullness of life that only he can give. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in awe of who you are, in awe of your sacrifice and your love. And we confess that sometimes we have tried to fill life with many things, with food, with friends, with family, with money, with success, with fame, with ego. Yet we are reminded in your word that only you can let us fully live. So as we come to your table, we ask you to take our lives. Take our lives but allow us in that taking to fully live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.